Welcome to the Thundercast, your martial athletics podcast produced by the fans, for the fans, with your hosts, Russ Livingood and KD Hudnall. We're bringing you the thundering word on the thundering herd each and every week. So keep it right here. The Thundercast is on the loose. For downloading another episode of the podcast. Russ, our second this week has become the norm with football season. We've got a huge game to preview this week with the herd traveling down to Raleigh, North Carolina to face the NC State Wolfpack. Game's going down this Saturday, uh, 10-7. Mm-hmm. But interesting storylines coming into this one. We're going to cover all, well, a lot of those storylines, at least the ones that we have seen. And we're going to get into all the details that folks love to learn about during our previews here on the Thundercast. But before we can get into all the good stuff, we've got to get a quick word from our sponsors at 304carwreck.com. If you've been hurt in a wreck, visit 304carwreck.com on the web or on Facebook. You can't stop a bad driver from crashing into you and making you a victim. But when you're hurt and you try to deal with the insurance companies alone... You set yourself up to be a victim again. Don't be a victim twice. Jason and Matt can't protect you from bad drivers, but they can protect you from the insurance companies. Find them at 304carwreck.com. Russ, the Wolfpack is on the horizon. That's this week's opponent. And yeah, I got a little bit of flack. We were guests on the Locked On Sunbelt podcast yesterday. That episode's out now, by the way, if you guys want to go listen to Russ and I talk about the herd. Dave Schultz asked me, is this the more important game or is Georgia State the more important game? And I said, well, this is the more important game because it's the next game on the schedule. And he laughed and gave me a little bit of crap about that. But that's the kind of stuff that Huff preaches, right? It's, it's a one-week season every week. They're looking to go 1-0. and So, yes, this is an important game because it's the next game. NC State is a 3-2 and two ball club this season. Now, wins over UConn. 0-5, VMI, FCS team 2-3, and and win over UVA, also 0-5. That's got to be concerning if you're an NC State fan, but that doesn't mean anything really about this one. The game, as I mentioned before the uh, commercial, going down Saturday, October 7th at 2 p.m. Eastern. Games on the CW. I don't know how to feel about that one, Russ. We can talk about that if you want to get into that here in a minute. Um... ESPN Power Index, not really great on the herd this week. 31.5% chance to win for the herd in an away game down in Raleigh. The line is Marshall plus 6.5. It opened at plus 7 for the herd. Over under a 45.5, which puts the score roughly in that 26 to 19.5 point range if you're doing the math. This will be the sixth all-time meeting against the Wolf, or between the Herd and the Wolfpack. NC State's won all five up to this point. I think most folks will go back, fans of any uh, duration will go, you know, it all started off really poorly back in 1991 when the Herd was the victim of a 15-14 to 14 loss when Marshall was still 1AA, might I add, at that point. And these folks will contend that the ACC refs absolutely robbed the herd in that game. So the last two games, though, 2017 and 2018, 
Both ended with the same score, 37-20, to 20, one in Raleigh, and the only game in 2018 to be played in Huntington, West Virginia. Russ, let's stop right there before we get into anything else. Let's talk about the series history. Let's talk about this one. And, hey, if you got something for me about this one being on the CW, I'd like to hear that too. I really don't have anything on the CW. Um, I just um, – I, I didn't realize that that was a thing, that ACC was playing on the CW. I mean, that seems like something we would have complained about last year, but it's seen nationwide, you know. So, yeah. Um, it's I just an oddball network, right? Well, not not right. an oddball, but one for college football. You don't think of them, yeah. you know, you think Fox, ESPN, even ABC and CBS, but you really don't think the CW, but hey. Yeah, it's a, college football. It's going to be a great uh, lead in for the Gilmore Girls reruns. So. <laughs> um, no, my bird's eye view on this one is we're looking at two ridiculously good defenses that are going to be going against each other and two teams that, have at different varying degrees struggled with some offensive stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's going to be a kind of a low scoring game and there's some things to watch for that we'll get into at a deeper dive, but that 10,000 foot level, it looks like a uh, defensive uh, matchup here. And that's, that's about it. Who's going to break kind of deal. Right. Yeah, well, that's concerning, I think, maybe a little bit for Marshall fans because our defense did break several times this past weekend against Old Dominion, and they gave up the big play. So that's a point of concern. You know, you still feel really good about our coaching staff and the film study and and the game preparation to eliminate some of that. But until it goes away, it's still there, right? So you have to be fair when you talk about these things. It's not just going to magically disappear. Hopefully it does. But every week we're talking about, well, if that can go away, then, and it just hasn't gone away yet. I want to talk to you for a second about 1991. We're not going to do a preview of this game without talking about that 1991 first ever matchup between the Herd and the Wolfpack. 15-14, to NC State escapes with a victory. Uh, I know a lot of fans that remember that game really, really feel some type of way about that one. So... That's a really unique way to kick off a series, right? It, it, you know, it doesn't happen very often anymore. We don't, we've played, it seems like, just about everybody. I mean, every now and then we'll play a new team for the first time. But there's a lot of history here just for having five matchups in this one. So let's speak to that just for a second about how this one all kicked off and, and what gets stuck in the crawl for Herd fans when they think about NC State. Well, um, we, were, we were pretty young sixth grade going into seventh grade during that time and i'm not sure that we could break down that game from when we were watching it live but i do know that for decades we've heard nothing but acc refs acc Mm -hmm. refs and it pops up you know think about when we beat clemson at clemson uh even though i don't think they were acc at the time were they in 99 i don't know but it was oh you mean at clemson yeah yeah i thought you meant the referees i was like i don't know who no, no, but I, I think that they were ACC and they were complaining about the refs there. And it's usually the, it's pass interference calls is what mm-hmm. you always hear. is like, well, I guess you can't guard in a wide receiver anymore in the ACC. Otherwise, you know, it's pass interference. Uh, we saw that at Virginia Tech down in uh, 2013. Uh, and uh, it just seems like one of those deals that has 
always stuck there. And I think that might've been the origin of that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I can remember vividly the, uh, North Carolina game in, uh, 2002, I, I think, think it was. It was yeah. Yeah. And you know, some of the calls in that game and I felt like we should have came out the victors in that game, but, um, it, it's, it's always going to be one of those things that's like in the lore of, well, we actually won that game and we would have knocked off, you know, a, a big time opponent uh, when we were in at the time one double A is what it was called. But uh, it was always the ACC refs, always the ACC refs. And I would love to go back and watch that game as an adult and, and with fresh eyes, watch that. And I don't know if it's available anywhere. I've not seen it since, but um yeah, it's it's one of those things. And I, I feel like uh, there is always, and it's not just us, it's other games I watch. There's always, uh, if the P5, which I hate that term, it's their conference refs, and then there's a G5 or a smaller, uh, now FCS at the, at the time, 1AA, I feel like there is more leeway given to the P5 teams, the big teams, the national teams than there is the others when it comes to some of these ticky-tack calls and stuff. So I think there's a little bit of credence to that, you know, and I'm not making excuses. I mean, you go watch a game and you're like, hey, just call it fair on both ends, you know? If it's pass interference down here, it needs to be pass interference down there. Yeah, You know, it's just like with the strike zone in baseball. You know, uh, if, if a guy's calling low strikes all game long, you really got no uh, complaints when it's on you. But if it's also on the other squad, you know, you just deal with it. You just mm-hmm. go out and say, hey, they're low today, guys. Keep that in mind. But when you get 15-yard penalty pass interference after you break up a really good uh, – or make a good play and break up a pass – and you get pass interference and that extends their drives, it just really looks bad when they mug you on the other end and it's not called. Yeah. I think that's what I was after is it's like, what a, what a wild way to start off a series history is that, you know, we're, we're closing in on well over 30 years now that people have been going back and thinking about that game and like, man, that was the herds game. They won that game and the refs took it away from them. So let's talk about some of these storylines that are coming into this one. Number one, Marshall's looking to remain undefeated, right? They're trying to go 5-0 and on the season. That's the biggest storyline of this game. Number two, Marshall's trying to notch a second win of the season over an ACC team. Another huge storyline. Number three, Marshall's trying to get a second win of the season in the state of North Carolina, right? With another game on the slate as well. And then number four, perhaps the biggest one that has to do with the X's and O's in this game, NC State has made a switch at quarterback to sophomore MJ Morris from quarterback Brennan Armstrong. This Mr. Morris is going to be making his first career start. The stats we're going to talk about in a little bit. I think the biggest thing you got to take away from this is Brennan Armstrong was not only, of course, the team's leading passer, he was also the team's leading rusher. So a huge amount of the offense has been taken, taken away from the Wolfpack. Now, Mr. Morris might be the big wild card and have the great, you know, debut as a starter and do uh, kind of what Cam did. Had a great game, you know, and notches a win in his first ever start. Second time this season that Marshall's going to be facing a starter for the first time, a first-time starter, I should say. Oddly enough, both of them are going to be the ACC schools. So we'll see how that one goes. 
We already did those initial thoughts, but I got to ask you this one. You know, Dave Schultz asked me, so I got to ask you, what does this one mean? Real quick, what does this game mean in the grand scheme or just this week? I think it means a lot to the fans to get a uh, victory over a bigger team. Uh, And when I say bigger team, I still think we're built to compete with these teams. It's just that they have much more resources than we have. A bigger budget. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that you can go zero and four in your out of conference games and still even run the table. Don't even have to run the table and win your conference championship. And that is almost all the way the cards are going to be stacked for teams that are in our conferences. They don't want us playing for the playoffs. They don't want us playing for a, a New York, a New Year's six bowl. You know, it only goes to one team, you know, so, uh, the odds are just ridiculously high that you're going to make that anyway. Yes, it should be our goal to hit the absolute peak that we can, but ultimately the way it's structured out of conference games don't really matter on where you fall uh, unless you have a magical season. And I wish that that was different, but where it does matter is for recruiting where it does matter is fan base uh energy where it does matter is team uh uh knowledge and and confidence that they can go into an acc fifty-seven thousand sold out stadium and win and then you can do that elsewhere so it does matter i'm not saying that this game doesn't matter it just in the eyes of the voters is about all that you're looking for in this game other than those three things so it, it, we win this game, then we lose the conference championship. I would much rather have a conference championship. Yeah, I would but too. but we want to win this game to help with recruiting, to help with Marshall's brand, to help with uh, nationwide the eyes that are on us, to help with the confidence of the fans, to help with the confidence of the players. We want this game. Yeah, it's it's I, a double edged sword, right? You have is. to schedule these games in order to have an impressive enough resume. So if you do run the table or you are a one loss team, that you can say, look at this herd team, they deserve that NY six slot. They're really good. They're battle tested. Their only loss on the season is in Raleigh, North Carolina. Let's just yeah. say, or they ran the table and they beat Virginia Tech and they beat NC State and they are a Sun Belt champion. Like yeah. this is a legitimate team, and That's all right. the other things that you said also account the the, the recruiting, but it's also conference perception. The Sun Belt's yeah. killing it right now. We are. So wins like this only help to raise that stature amongst the the rest of us, let's say. You know, we're we're past the MAC, we're past the Conference USA, we're nipping at the heels and ahead of the American in a lot of categories, which we all saw coming. And, and the Mountain West has a legitimate beef because they've got good teams out there in the West, but that's what this means. It's 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 pecking order. For everybody else, if you can go in and, and notch two ACC wins. But ultimately, for your hopes of a Sun Belt championship, have no bearing whatsoever. If you can uh, win it, you want to keep winning because it builds confidence and you're a little bit more battle-tested. But, hey, I'm with you. Let me raise the Sun Belt championship trophy over you know a victory in Raleigh. I want the victory in Raleigh. I also I want the Sun Belt championship. I, I, I want it. I want every damn game. Every <laughs> damn game. Yeah. Everyone. So look, let me turn my hat around here because uh, it's time to talk about some players to look out for, and I'm just having trouble reading my daggone notes. So 
Let's talk about some of these players. Uh, we mentioned number seven quarterback MJ Moore is going to be making his first start of the season. The six foot two, two hundred and fifteen pound sophomore. No stats in twenty twenty three. Russie hasn't attempted a freaking pass for the Wolfpack that I could find on ESPN or the NC State website. Has no stats for him. Well, here here's what uh, the deal is with him. He played in more games than the four uh, minimum or maximum last year. So they had planned on redshirting him this year, very similar to what happened mm-hmm. with Chad Pennington, uh, played in 95, and then he redshirted in 96, and they brought in Cresser to to have the one year. And then after the redshirt, because Pennington had to burn his, right. he would get back. So he is he had been planned to not throw a single pass this year. Yeah. And it just didn't work out. Last year, he uh, had seven touchdowns, one interception. 52 of 86 passing or 56 to 82. I can't remember one of the two of those uh, had uh, a pretty impressive resume for the time that he was in games. Yeah. I've got the 2022 stats. He did appear in five games. So you get four. Mm -hmm. He appeared in five. Three of those were starts and you nailed it. 648 yards. It was 52 of 86. That's 60% completion. That's pretty good. You know, seven TDs versus one interception. Also ran the ball 49 times for 88 yards and a touchdown on the ground. He was sacked six times in those five games. So pretty mobile dual threat guy. That's why I'm saying like there's not a lot of film out there this year. So this could be something of a point of contention. You know, it looks like two very similar build type quarterbacks between he and Cam, both mobile guys, dual threat guys. So it's it's a wild card. The herd really doesn't know what he's going to do extremely well, and they really don't know where the weakness is in, in 2023. A couple of running backs that we've got to feature because, like I mentioned before, Brennan Armstrong was the leading rusher on the team. So who's going to get the lion's share of that? Is Mr. Morris going to carry the load that Armstrong was, or are the running backs going to see more action? Let's start with number two. Running back Michael Allen, the five foot nine, two oh five sophomore, twenty nine carries for one hundred and thirty nine yards, leads the team from a running back standpoint. Zero touchdowns on the ground, good for four point eight yards per carry though, and also number twenty, running back Kendrick Raphael, five foot nine, one hundred and ninety five pound freshman, twenty two carries for one hundred and eleven yards on the season, also no touchdowns on the ground, good for five yards per carry. So two backs hovering right around that five yard per carry range Uh, a couple of wide outs we got to talk about number 10 wide receiver kevin concepcion i hope i say that right because i just love how that is it is it could could very well be conception but i like conception it's concepcion uh five foot 11 187 pound freshman leads the team 23 receptions on the season also leads the team 245 yards two touchdowns through the air good for 10.7 yards per catch last one we're going to feature is number four wide receiver Porter Rooks. I really like that name. I think that's a cool name. Porter Rooks. Six foot one, 201. He's a junior. 10 catches on the season for 125 yards, no touchdowns. Good for 12 and a half yards per reception. Here's the bullet points. I didn't do this in the beginning. We're going to do it in uh, each individual section. Team is averaging 25.4 points per game and gaining 345 yards per game on offense. Pretty balanced, 150 on the ground, 195 through the air. They're really good on third downs, uh, 45% on the season, and they pick them up damn near evenly. 44 first downs picked up on the ground, 45 picked up through the air, and 10 by way of penalty. Marshall, by the way, is still number four in the country uh, at third down defense, allowing just 23.7% conversion rate on defense. Through uh, five games, this Wolfpack has 10 turnovers, roughly two per game, and that doesn't count 
the two times that they were stopped on fourth downs. Russ, thoughts on this new look Wolfpack offense? Yeah, so it is an unknown with quarterback. Uh, we do expect him to run quite a bit. Uh, but here's the skinny on the running backs that I don't know if you know or not. They spread the ball around kind of evenly amongst four players there. Well, one of them, Houston, is now out for the season. So that's why he, he's got stats on there, uh, but he won't have anything going forward. Kendrick Raphael, also questionable for Saturday. So that leaves uh, Mims the third, I think it was his yeah. name. Hang Del- on. Just Delbert, Delbert Mims the third, 31 carries for 92 yards on the season. But he's got five, five touchdowns. touchdowns. That's what I was going to say. He, Besides the quarterback, he had the only rushing touchdowns amongst these four running backs. Uh, two of them might be out. We know one is going to be out, Houston. Um, he has uh, been described as an east-west runner and not a north-south runner, but again, five touchdowns. They have a long rush of 21 yards on, and that's counting the quarterback. Right. They have 21 yards as their long rush on the season so far through five games. Uh, they have not broken any. That kind of bodes well a little bit for us because we have been susceptible only to the big plays yeah. and usually the big running plays. And uh, our defensive efficiency looks scary good. It's just that goes down as a conversion, whether it's a yard or 99 yards uh, when you're looking at efficiency and it's weighted not as much toward the big play. We've given up a lot of big plays for our touchdowns this year. Um, Also, they have been uh, taking from their wide receiver core, kind of reserve wide receiver core, and they've had to put them over into the defensive backfield room, and we'll talk about that when we talk about the defense. Well, excellent segue. Let's go right into the defense. Quartet of guys I've got to talk about, and then we'll just slightly feature one other. It starts for this Wolfpack defense at linebacker, like most good defenses do, uh, especially from a tackling standpoint. Number 11, linebacker Peyton Wilson, 6'4", 238. He's a senior. 56 total tackles, 27 of those solo, two and a half sacks, one INT, and three passes defended. He leads the team in all of those categories except for sacks. This guy is a great all-around player, and we know that the six-foot-four linebacker caused a little bit of a ruckus against Virginia Tech. Uh, number zero, safety, Sean Brown, six-foot-two-zero-seven. He's a sophomore, thirty total tackles, eighteen solo, two sacks, an interception, a forced fumble, which leads the team, and three passes defended leads the team. Very good all-around player in that Wolfpack secondary. Number two and number 10, both linebackers. Number two, Jalen Scott, 6'1", 225, also a senior. 28 total tackles, 14 solo, half a sack, and a pass defended. And then let's round it out with a third linebacker. That's got to tell you something about this defense. Three of your four top tacklers are at the second level. Caden Fordham, 6'1", 228. He's a sophomore, 24 total tackles, 13 of those solo. I've got to feature the team leader for sacks, because just edging out linebacker Peyton Wilson is defensive lineman, another great name, Red Red Hibbler. Three and a half sacks leads this Wolfpack defense through five games impact plays for this Wolfpack. 15 total sacks, six INTs, three forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries, and 15 passes defended. 
Really solid defense. You know, I didn't write down Marshall's impact plays, but I bet you they're pretty damn similar to what this line reads right here. Um, bullet points. They're allowing 322 yards per game to opposing offenses. The Hurt is averaging 412, by the way. Just 95 yards per game allowed by this Wolfpack defense, 226 through the air. Uh, 20 points per game given up to opposing offenses. Number 15 is their ranking for third down defense. I know this is one that we have to put a point of contention on because Marshall's not been very good on third downs this year. The Wolfpack are allowing just 29.7% conversion rate for opposing offenses. That's 15th in the country, man. Marshall is not getting it done on third down. This is definitely something to keep an eye on. Let's talk about this Wolfpack defense real quick before I feature a kicker. All right, so um, seventh in the country in tackles is uh, Mr. Wilson there at linebacker. Sean Brown, which you may or may not know, in that Louisville game, he got a targeting call in the second half, and he is out for the first half of Did our game. However, they are appealing that, and we don't know, and I don't know when the decision will be made on that, but as of today, it is still in the appellate process so we don't know if he's going to miss a half or not. If he misses a half in that already depleted uh, defensive secondary, that will help us very much in the first half. Let's let's uh, hope that that gets settled on Sunday. Yeah, who do I need to call? You know, <laughs> not ACC refs. That's for maybe, damn sure. <laughs> maybe me and my friend Mr. George Washington could call them. <laughs> um, so we've got uh, uh, a defensive secondary, like I said, due to injuries and other things that they are taking wide receivers and putting them over into yeah. the defensive backfield room just to help flush out or flesh out the, uh, the, the room, you know, they need mm -hmm. warm bodies over there. Uh, they still performed very well in that Louisville game. I just watched it again. I watched it, you know, kind of uh, the Friday night that it was there, but I did a rewatch in prep through this so I could get a better look at what they look like. They blitz a lot. They are, like you said, 15th in the nation on third downs. They are, uh, let's see here, trying to find the ranking. 3.1 yards per carry given up for 25th in the, the nation. Rushing yards total, 95.6 a game, 18th in the nation. Sacks, they're 3.0 a game, tied for 23rd uh, in the nation. Um touchdowns they've only given up four it looks like and that is good for tied for 26 in the nation a lot of that top 25 markers that they're hitting on here and scoring and total yards they're in the 30s in the mm -hmm. rankings so they have a very good defense however point of contention on fourth down They've only had opponents go for it four times. They've given up a first down three out of four times. That's 121st in the nation out of 130 teams that are ranked on here. So uh, also in the red zone, they're 108th in the nation. They're right neck and neck kind of where with where Marshall is um, on uh, – on offense, Marshall's in the red zone offense versus them in the red zone defense. It seems like something's got to give there. They're both Marshall's 106, they're 108. So this defense does have some cracks. Defensive backfield, especially with Sean Brown being out, that could help us quite a bit. And 
seems like one of those things we're going to have to attack them early. Yeah, it, it feels it feels that way. As we've been talking, I've been conjuring up some, you know, maybe some different keys to victory just as we've been talking. But uh, you start to see what the strategy might be for this herd team going into Raleigh. Let's feature a place kicker. It's a name that some herd fans should be familiar with because he's a transfer kicker. Number 44 place kicker, Braden Narvison, six foot, 210 pound senior. He's five of seven on field goals this year, a long of 49. He's three of three from that range of 40 to 49. Very good, accurate, and long distances. Uh, he's 0 of 1, I think, at 49 plus or 50 yeah, plus. 50 plus. And then 2 of 3 between 30 and 39. He's 15 of 15 on extra points. The reason why you should maybe know who this is, he played his football at Western Kentucky before coming here, and he was a weapon for them for a number of years. So Marshall's going to get one more crack at handing Braden Narvison a loss before his eligibility exhausts. Russ, let's roll into keys to victory. What's your number one key this week? Number one key has to be that our defense gets to this quarterback. Uh, I know he's talented. Uh, he wouldn't be an NC State if he wasn't talented. The stats that he put up as a true freshman look pretty promising. You know, you expect some uh, errors, and he didn't make a whole lot based on uh, the limited stats that we have. But our we're second in sacks in the nation. We're tied for fourth in uh, first downs given up. We are uh, fourth in the nation for third down percentage. You know, we talked about how good they were on third down. They were tied for 33rd in the nation at 46.1%. We only give up 23.7 on third down. Mm -hmm. So if we can force them into third downs and fourth downs, it will help us quite a bit because we're highly ranked on both of those. So we really need to get to the quarterback and our passing. We're number one in yards per attempt, number five in yards per completion, and number two overall in passing yards given up and passing efficiency as a team. We are looking really good against the pass, so we need to have that same strength get on this young quarterback early and cause some mistakes. Yeah, the only way to do that is to bottle up the run game, right? You've got to force them into passing situations. Look, my number one key to victory, it's real easy. I don't have to explain it. It is really super simple. The turnovers have to go away. I don't like to say, you know, control the ball and 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 limit the turnovers and penalties because that's football 101 stuff, right? And, and it doesn't seem like you're really analyzing the matchup to say that. But the bad turnovers have killed the herd this year, and they've just got to go away. This is five games. This will be the fifth game of the season. The bad turnovers have to go away. In a defensive struggle, which this one could potentially be where points are at a premium, gifted points or extra possessions are not the recipe for success, my friend. So give me, number one, most importantly, the turnovers going away. What's your number two this week? Well, I'm going to flip-flop mine uh, so I can talk about the turnovers. My okay. number three was going to be that we have to win the turnover battle. They are plus one on turnover margin on the year, and we are minus one on turnover margin. That seems to be close, but it's not really. They are, they uh, have turned the ball over a lot, and a lot of them has been from Brennan Armstrong that they're replacing. So we don't know if that's going to go down or up with a new quarterback, but we have got to – force him into making turnovers and we have got to limit ours. Like you said, mm -hmm. well, 
I don't think there's a herd fan in the land that is sick and tired of seeing, you know, a, a read option fumble or, you know, like I said in the in the recap, I think it's time for Cam to just cut loose and fling it, especially against a depleted secondary when you've got a guy that's on a that's got a release and a run. Make him go track down the football, man. And if he can't get it, nobody can get it, right? So the the underthrown type deal, just let it go away. Have a little confidence in your arm. Have a little confidence in your guys to make a play for you. And let's eliminate that easy interception and make our maybe we get the spectacular plays. And a little confidence gets built, and we can see that more and more. Number two for me is Rasheen Ali and Cam Fancher have to carry the load. They have to carry the load offensively. Now, based on some of the things that you said about this this uh, Wolfpack secondary being potentially depleted and maybe just needing, quote, warm bodies to kind of fill some space, that tells me that maybe our third and fourth wide receivers could be a really good option in this game. Because what is the what are the odds that a depleted secondary with whoever may be in there is going to be able to go step for step with whoever we line up at wide receiver three, wide receiver four, maybe our slots can just feast, you know, guys with speed to burn, Chuck Montgomery, uh, Jaden Harrison, you know, Caleb Coombs broke out last week. Maybe the this is where those wrinkles exist. If you can get a, a favorable matchup on a third or fourth corner or a third or fourth safety against guys that we know can make plays, also tells me if they're going to commit to the run, Cade Conley could have a huge day. If he can get a release across the middle and make some plays uh, against a potentially depleted secondary. But first and foremost, Ali and Cam have to carry the load. We've seen it from Cam this past week. We saw a little bit of a coming out party. If we can keep the trend continuing, Rasheen Ali's able to bust that long run that we were missing against Old Dominion. Man, I really like what the herd can do in Raleigh. You have to respect what they can do, but those two guys primarily have to carry the load. Very similar for me for my third is that you cannot be held under 100 yards rushing, which they have done on average all year long, 95.6. Like I said, for uh, where is that 18th in the country Mm -hmm. uh, against the rush. So we have got to have a couple of long runs. We will not be able to take advantage of their passing uh, defense inefficiency if we cannot establish that run, we have got to not be one dimensional. We have got to be able to run the football against them. So I think that uh, I don't really want to tie a number on it, but I think that we kind of need to be above 150 yards rushing to establish it enough with breakaways or 12 yard runs here, 15 yards there that they cannot just drop back and say, well, you know, we've got them on the rush and everything. They're going to have to pass, so let's help our secondary out and we'll drop eight and whatever. I We have got to be able to run and run early on them so we can pass. Yeah, very true. Number three for me, it's assignment defense for the herd. You know, we're seeing a lot of this guy's making the wrong read, biting on the read out. You're supposed to cover the quarterback. You bit on the running back. That's got to go away. It's got to be assignment defense for the herd to stop the big breakaway plays that are keeping teams in games or swinging momentum back to you know our opponents. And this one's on the road, man. You can't afford to engage 57,000 fans for an exciting play when they you know may be on the verge of this one getting out of hand for Marshall. You know, assignment defense is the key defensively this week what do you got 
my final one, and this is very broad, but what uh, helps in close games, special teams. We have got to win the special teams battle, and it's not just punting and field position. It's not just a kicker. We're four of seven. They're five of seven. They have a, a kicker that's hit one from 49. We just hit one over 40 for the first time this year, 42-yarder. But they are uh, tied for 13th in the nation amongst all kickoff returns. They do have a kickoff return for a touchdown, and they have a couple of guys back there that are electric. I think that's one of the reasons we've been practicing those pooch kicks was not just the opponents we were playing because they did have some good returning options, but we knew coming in we were not going to be able to kick it to these guys. Mm -hmm. Consequently, we do a very good job right now of defending the kickoff returns, and I think we're giving up close to 16 yards is all we're giving up. So we have got to help win the field position and the points on the board with the kicker via special teams. I love that. My final one is a team concept. It is simply stated, you got to grind, you got to chop wood, and you've got to stay in the moment. You've got to remain focused, play by play, literally cliche, one play at a time, and just make enough plays that when you look up at the end of the game, you are ahead on the scoreboard. Marshall has come back from 21 to 3. Nope, Old Dominion is not NC State. We know that. But they've done that, right? They've been in that fight. They've been in that battle. And this is the type of thing to where a team like Marshall that has won games in the fashion that they've won games all season long is built for these moments. They're built to put your head down, keep chopping wood, keep grinding, trust your process like Coach Huff says. The process is the process, and it works. This is just another iteration of that. Russ, who's your MVP this week for the herd? I think it's going to be Rasheen Ali. I'm going to ride that train, and I'm just going to keep riding that train. He's uh, he's our All-American candidate. He's everything that you want in a running back, uh, blocking, passing, breakaway speed, uh, getting power, getting speed, getting elusiveness, finding the holes. I, I need to see him do that against them, put up over 100, uh, put a couple scores up on the board, which he has averaged all year long. And he's my MVP. Great pick. He lit up Virginia Tech for a buck seventy. It'd be great to see him do it again against NC State. Look, I'm riding with Cam. Cam's got the hot hand coming off a great game. If my number one key to victory comes to fruition and the turnovers go away, you're looking at a Sunbelt Offensive Player of the Week caliber performance. If we just have similar to what we saw against Old Dominion minus the turnovers. How about a score prediction, dude? Oh, I've been going back and forth so much, and I'm going to say that uh, Herd pulls it out 24 to 20. And, I mean, I can't tell you how many times that I lowered the score for both teams. Uh, I thought about making us a, a higher spread. I thought, well, it's in their house. We're going to get screwed by the refs, and I flip-flopped <laughs> to them. I have confidence in our team and in our defense and in our guys to get it done. Uh, and I'm not sliding the offense at all. I just know that we are going to wreck some stuff on defense in this game. And give me 24-20, Marshall. Man, we are really close to this one. I'm doing – I actually had that penciled in. And then I thought, nope, you know what? I'm doing a little 1991 throwback. Give me the herd 24-23 to in a really tight one in Raleigh, North Carolina to escape, remain undefeated, go to 5-0, notch two ACC wins – Two wins in the state of North Carolina and a little bit of national pub for the herd yet again. 
Russ, this was an awesome preview. This is going to be a great game. I know you're going to be there. I can't wait to watch this one go down. I hope my son has a great time. I told you he's coming to the game. He's going to bring his girlfriend. Guys, on the other side of this break, we've got a very special guest joining us, someone that Sunbelt fans should be very familiar with. We've got Noah Frary going to join the Thundercast and talk a little herd ball. He's the play-by-play broadcaster for the Sunbelt and the ACC Network. He's one half of the Frary and Smith podcast. We're going to talk about the herd in the SBC, his perception of Marshall, and of course, the Marshall fan base, expectations of the herd moving forward, and maybe I'll see if I can get out of him what his dream scenario looks like for the SBC in the future. That, and who knows what else. Hang with us. It's the Thundercast. Russ, check it out. We've got Noah Frary on the Thundercast this week. This is like a milestone moment, right? I've been following the Frary and Smith podcast, it seems like, since it started. I probably haven't since it started, but I listen every week. It's usually my one of the uh, commutes to work is listening to the Frary and Smith podcast each week. These guys do a great job following the Sunbelt and informing all Sunbelt fans about the goings-on in the Sun Belt, and they're really just damn entertaining to listen to. I love the dynamic between Noah and Caden Smith. Uh, Noah, thanks for joining us today on the Thundercast. Like I said, it's a milestone moment for us. We feel really cool about having you here and, and you uh, being willing to just sit down with a couple of knuckleheads like us and talk Sun Belt for a little bit. Well, guys, I, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, it's it's a, a big achievement for us, too, to come on the Thundercast pod. We love uh, the Marshall fan base. Certainly looking forward to getting uh, more interactions with them moving forward. Well, then, let's just lead right in with that. I was going to ask this down the road, but you kind of set me up. So if you're going to tee it up, I'm going to knock it out of the park. Let's talk about your perception of Marshall, uh, maybe before they joined the Sun Belt, then when they did join the Sun Belt, and now after we've been in for a year or so, what's your perception of this Marshall fan base as it relates to the rest of the Sun Belt? Yeah, I got to admit, it has been a fun journey. Obviously, when you hear that Marshall is coming into the Sunbelt Conference, you think back uh, to the history of this program, you know, thinking all the way back to the plane crash and, and just so much that has taken place around this Marshall fan base. You know that this is a fan base that loves their football. They love this team. And, you know, I really feel like the fan base, you know, kind of plays into just this hard work mentality that we now see this, uh, you know, this football team, obviously, very familiar with, uh, you know, the city of Huntington. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. I think uh, Marshall definitely has one of the more talkative fan bases on Twitter. We've uh, enjoyed interacting with them on, uh, you know, some of the good, some of the bad. Um, but it's been a lot of fun. They've been a great addition. And, you know, I think one of the things that Caden and I have both really enjoyed seeing is, you know, just the turnout at some of these football games. I think back to the Stripe the Joan game, uh, you know, against Virginia Tech. And just an electric uh, atmosphere there. I'm hoping to see more of that uh, as the season moves on. I'm, I'm planning on, as of right now, coming up for Marshall James Madison and getting my first experience uh, at the Jones. So uh, looking forward to further interacting with this Marshall fan base. But so far, it's it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> well, look, no. hold on before you invite him to the tailgate. I know that's coming. How dare you never rank a Marshall player number one on any list that you put out? You're going to hear about it. Okay, so let me just tell you that right now. Russ, I'm sorry to preempt what you were going to say, but have at it. No, that's all right. So, Noah, you obviously do uh, commentary uh, for a lot of Sunbelt uh, games on ESPN Plus and stuff like that. And uh, I just have to get this out here. So you actually hate everyone's favorite team. Do I have that correct? <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, honestly, uh, it, it was funny. One of the first guys I ever talked to when I got into this industry, he actually had on his business card, I'm so-and-so and I hate your favorite team. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, that's that's what you run into on Twitter. Everyone makes that assumption. I actually did not grow up a major sports fan. The only sport that I really followed growing up is baseball. I grew up in upstate New York, so I'm a Yankees fan. You can love me or hate me, but um, I have the unique ability when I step into a college football environment and a college athletic environment. I don't really care who wins. Uh, so, no, I do not hate your favorite sports teams. It, I've, I've got it written down. It has to be. you. I've got it written down right here. He hates my team. You know, yeah. so, no. uh, good stuff. But, no, KD did uh, highlight it. I was going to do that uh, much later. But when you do come up, we have a banging tailgate right next to the stadium oh uh, gonna have to join us and uh for that jmu game it's a thursday night game but we'll be there early in the afternoon we're doing a low country boil so there we go well now i'm gonna have to get into town a little bit earlier yeah Yeah. come come hungry now you got to tell them though because you know this we deal with regionalities that do different types of low country boil and you got to let them know from the outset you're not competing with that louisiana style cook so <laughs> let them know Lu- now louisiana does not do a low country boil south carolina is where the low country is and that's where that boil comes from but mine does have a little bit of chesapeake bay influence into it but man uh, i didn't know i was going to get a history lesson on uh, low country boils here today also, also called frogmore stew i can go on and on we can <laughs> we can do a spinoff here on tailgating and meals and everything Done. whatever you want to do you just let me know <laughs> so look the the herd's got a big one this weekend right we're going down raleigh north carolina you call games for both the sunbelt and the acc network this seems to be kind of right in your wheelhouse Russ and I just finished our game preview, and we see this one as potentially a matchup of two really good defenses and not sure fully what uh, NC State's going to look like on offense with a quarterback change. What are you kind of seeing in this one as it relates to the herd, and and do you think they have the ability to go down there and escape or convincingly win against NC State? Yeah, I'm not sure that it would ever be a convincing win, uh, but I, I do think that there is a real chance to win this football game. You go into this game, Vegas has this as uh, last check. Uh, they have NC State as a seven-point favorite, and so that seems to speak to this game perhaps staying close. Uh, I think, KD, you bring up an interesting point there, particularly on the NC State side with a new quarterback. Uh, Brennan Armstrong's been the guy all year long. Uh, The coach makes the change. Dave Doran makes the change. He's going with TJ Morris this weekend, uh, who will be making his first appearance of the season, does have some history in the past. So I think that's, you know, really interesting to see and just kind of how does Marshall game plan against that? Uh, Morris did play a couple of games last year against Virginia Tech, against Wake Forest. So there is some game film on him for this coaching staff to kind of sink their teeth into. But you just don't know what he's going to look like in this first game. So I think it's an interesting test, uh, you know, for this Marshall defense. I think your point about defense is so well taken in this game because you have an NC State defense that's been pretty good this season. Uh, they've played strong against some opponents. I think they're particularly strong up front. And actually, when Caden and I record our preview uh, that's going to air on Friday on the Ferrarian Smith podcast, that's one of the points that we're going to talk about. It's NC State's front seven versus this offensive line for for Marshall. And I think that could, that could play a huge you know aspect in this football game. We all know Marshall loves to run the football. Rasheen Ali is obviously the bell cow. Cam Fancher starting to get more and more involved uh, in the run game. 
The one thing you have to keep an eye out in this matchup, NC State's really good on third down. They're like top 15 in the country right now. Whereas you look at, and you look at Marshall, who loves to run the football, they need to have success on early downs in this football game. If they can have success on first and second down running the football and not give NC State opportunities, you know, in third and long plays that maybe now you have to see Cam Fancher throw the ball, uh, I think this Marshall team can remain successful. And then the other element of this, We've harped on it all season long. I'm sure you guys have as well. We need to see this Marshall team start strong. Mm -hmm. They are a team that they're going to grind you down. They're probably going to outplay you in the third and fourth quarter. But we all know how important it is, particularly against these Power 5 opponents, to get off to a strong start. And when you look at Marshall this year, to this point, they've scored three points in the first quarter. And I think we need to see that change because – You've played some teams that you can get by doing that, but you're starting to work into a part of your schedule where you need to be able to play well early in football games. Um, so I think those are just some high-level things that I'm really paying attention for as we head into this NC State game for Marshall. See, yeah. I told you he hates our favorite team. <laughs> also tells me we know a little bit about what we're talking about, Russ. You do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, now, this uh, next question, we're going to delve in. There will be a spinoff by either me or KD talking about some more about this, but just on surface level, tell me a little bit about the Sun Belt knocking off these P5s, which I always have to say, I hate that term, but <laughs> the Sun Belt, and not just this year, but it seems like over the past couple of years or several years, the Sun Belt has uh, racked up quite a few of them, and we're playing yet another one this week, and we have knocked off a P5 team every week of the season so far, I believe, this week or this year. So, what yeah. Are you, what are your thoughts? I mean, it's been an impressive start to this year. I mean, with the exception of last week where Louisiana loses to Minnesota, I think that was a game people thought Louisiana might win and we would have had five straight weeks. Marshall would have had a chance to make it six. But to have four power five wins to begin this year has already been impressive. You think back to what Texas State did uh, in week one against Baylor. Obviously, uh, JMU's win over Virginia. I think of what Marshall was able to do uh, to Virginia Tech. There's been some impressive showings this year, and I don't want to forget South Alabama, Oklahoma State as well. It has been so interesting as I've spoken with Caden, as I've gotten to know Caden, and I know we'll talk about that relationship a little bit more later on this episode, but Caden talks about App State a lot, and obviously he played there, played at a very high level, and played in some of these environments. And the one thing he always talks about is that Sunbelt teams are always ready to play in these environments. You see the strong defenses that most Sunbelt teams, particularly at the top, are bringing to the table. It's always going to give you a chance against some of these Power 5 teams. I think what's even become more interesting is you're starting to maybe see uh, a resurgence of some of these strong Sunbelt offenses, which then allow you to have multiple ways to beat these Power 5 teams. Sunbelt teams have always been overlooked in these matchups, and I think that they come in with a chip on their shoulder and they've been able to play well. We also see, you know, decent contingents of fans make it out to these away games uh, that have, have been won and even power five home games. So it's been really interesting to watch the Sun Belt. you know, obviously just continues to grow in that department. Last year, you had that that big second weekend. And um, now this year, it's been kind of a constant theme. And it wouldn't surprise me that we're getting another power five win this week when Marshall plays NC State. Well, we're certainly hoping to hold up our end of the deal. We've done it once this year, but yeah, you know, we're we're uh, we are not carrying the load. Everybody is seeming to be contributing when they when they have the opportunity, and that's exactly what you want to see. Uh, I, I can't sit here and tell you that I am an expert historically on the Sun Belt. We weren't a part of it until last year, but I did see a tweet earlier, a couple of days ago. I think it was a Georgia Southern 
uh, fan that put it out that said all Sunbelt games have been elevated to major network, like linear networks this week for the first time. What the heck are we seeing in real time right now, Noah? I think we're seeing the emergence of a conference here. Uh, you know, we we joked earlier on in this episode about, you know, Power Five and Group of Five and just those monikers uh, that have been established. I too, Russ, I know you don't like the Power Five moniker. I use it, but um, I think the one thing that I don't like to get on my soapbox right now is the fact that there's this constant conversation about when is the Sun Belt going to become a Power Five league. The reason the Power Five was developed is because there's different governing rules. So the Sun Belt's never going to be a Power Five league. But can they compete against those Power Five programs or Autonomy Five programs, whatever you want to call them? Absolutely. They can do that game in and game out. And I think what you're seeing is a conference that, you know, really from top to bottom with maybe the exception of two or three teams right now is strong. Caden and I talk about it a lot on our podcast. We truly believe that sitting here heading into week six, that there are nine to 10 teams that could very easily find themselves in a championship conversation. So when you have that level, obviously, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. And I think that's what you're seeing in the Sun Belt. Uh, and then I think the other aspect that plays into things is for as much as people like to harp against the transfer portal, and I know Marshall has been hurt by the transfer portal in multiple sports. I think of basketball. I think of you know football. Um, the transfer portal is also helping programs like teams in the Sun Belt because you are seeing players that initially went Power 5 to those top programs that are now either returning home or having to drop down a level and playing fantastic football. So I think that you're kind of seeing, you know, this, you know, the top end of the the group of five kind of coalesce around the Sun Belt. I think that this is the premier group of five conference at this point. They've leaned into those regional rivalries. And let's be honest, ESPN wants to put a good product out on national television. And when you can bring in an ESPN broadcast crew to a sold out Jones C. Edwards Stadium, when you can do the same to James Madison, when you can have App State have sellouts every game. ESPN is going to come to those games, and I think that's what you're seeing more. You're seeing that regional rivalry component really play in to these huge fan bases and these huge sold-out games. And ESPN says, why would I go to a game on a on a Thursday night uh, for a couple of American Conference opponents where you're not going to see a ton of fans in the stands when I can go to a sold-out game in Boone or a sold-out game up in Huntington? Yeah, or they could go to Sheets and watch Conference USA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not we're not missing that man at all. I think you're right, man. I love it. It seems like we it, we just happen to. I'm gonna use a bad pun here. We caught, caught lightning in a bottle with our timing mm -hmm. to move to the Sun Belt, and now they were already trending upward. Yes, and Marshall just hit it at the right point. Also, Agreed. bringing in teams Southern Miss, they just fit right in there, you know, and and Old Dominion and James Madison, they just fit. Right. We just fit. So let's talk about this this current makeup, I guess you would call it, of the uh, of the Sunbelt Conference. It's great for a number of sports. Football is really competitive. Soccer has really become maybe arguably the best league in the country right now. And yeah, baseball three the, is three in the top five right now. I believe one, two, three at this point. Yeah, who the hell would have thought the epicenter of collegiate soccer is in the state of West Virginia, yet here we are. <laughs> and then, of course, we know what baseball is in the, in the Sun Belt, too. So let, let me ask you the, the tongue-in-cheek question that I love to ask. What's the dream scenario for you when you think about the Sun Belt? This would be better if we could you know, expand or we need to stay right where we are. What does that look like to you? 
Yeah, I think right now for me, it's stay right where we are. Um, I don't want to see a product that's working, you know, change right now. I don't mm -hmm. think that the Sun Belt needs to make a move right now. And that's consistently been a theme that you've heard from the conference office. Keith Gill has said that the conference is not, you know, currently looking at expansion. I've heard that in personal conversations with just people that I've been around in the conference and even some of the athletic directors. But in this age of college football, things change quickly and, you know, things could change by the time we're done recording this. We could have another team announce that they're leaving a conference. So for me, if you're the Sun Belt, I, I don't think you ever want to, you know, go away from what has made you so strong over the last couple of years. And that's leaning into regional rivalry. So if we're talking dream scenario, I think you have to look at some other teams, maybe inside this current footprint that makes sense based on the formula that we have already seen. I think in the end, to me, it probably comes down to, are you looking at adding two teams in the future? I really like ECU. I know that they're in the American right now. The American has a better TV deal. I don't think ECU fans are as excited about potentially joining the Sun Belt and maybe taking a step down in their mind. But I think in a couple of years, if this trend continues, we're going to see a better TV deal for the Sun Belt. They might even leap the American in terms of, revenue distribution and then at some point that conversation becomes really interesting i just think they fit the model regional rivalries they have a fan base um you know that loves you know playing teams inside their state and close to them and then you know out west i think the biggest thing that i would love to find is i would love to find a team to match up with texas state i think it would be important to maybe add another team from texas or add a team from that side of the conference uh maybe a utsa maybe someone like that so I think it's interesting. I think in the past, you've seen the Sun Belt lean into the FCS ranks, much like they just did with JMU. I think they're at a point in this story arc of the conference that they don't have to necessarily consider going to the FCS route at this point. I think that they can go hunting for maybe some other group of five conference teams uh, if they look to expand in the future, which again is still up in the air. Oh, yeah. I don't think anything is like right now on the table, but we've talked about it many, many times. There are two or three, maybe four that already are inside the footprint that would absolutely add value and excitement to certain fan bases. We just need to get past this hierarchy of, you know, we're a better conference because we're here. God, it just doesn't play. You know, we're all the same team. I mean, they're... they're we're all in the group of five fighting for the same slot. So by and large, we're all the same team with mostly the same identity and the same type of fans. So this, this you know, we're better than you and you're better than us type deal, I don't think it really plays but, as much as it But you do have to remember, at the end of the day, money talks. And of course. obviously that's what's running college football right now. So I think the point you're making is great, but I think you always have to look at the money here because that's where decision makers are making their decisions off of right now. Love it or hate it. No, no, no. I agree 100% with the money. I'm talking about fan perception mm. when I say that. That's all. Russ, uh, what do you got on the bur on the burner here for Noah right now? Well, I was just going to ask uh, if you wouldn't mind taking a little bit of a history lesson for us and telling us how your podcast was formed. Uh, you got with Caden and, and put this together. How long you've been doing it, that sort of thing. How did it come about? Yeah, it's actually, you know, a really interesting story. I've been, you know, doing play-by-play -play for the Sunbelt Conference. This will be year three. Uh, I do a lot of the women's sports championships. Uh, so it's been fun to interact with some of the Marshall coaching staffs. Obviously, it was a good year, women's basketball, softball. Uh, in the last couple of years, even volleyball. It's been fun getting to know Ari Agonis, uh as well. So 
as I'm doing this, my dream on my my day job is play by play. And obviously I would I want to get to the point where I'm calling football games consistently. Easier said than done early on in your career to to break into those levels. So I said, what's a way that I can be around college football, start to build up a knowledge base uh, without necessarily calling those football games every Saturday? And so that's where the idea for the Frary and Smith podcast came about. But when that idea first popped up, it was just me. It was just Frary. Uh, I actually attended Sunbelt Media Day two years ago, and through that was able to get connected with Harry Lyles, who currently works at ESPN. He does sideline uh, on the Thursday night package as well as on Around the Horn. And he's actually a Georgia State graduate. I just started talking to him. I said, I'm looking for someone who played in the Sunbelt that maybe is active in media. And he says, well, let me get you connected with Caden Smith. That was the, the the first week of August last year that Caden and I talked for the first time. A week later, we're down in Atlanta taking headshots for promotion. I had a team of uh, a producer and a, and a graphic designer already on board. Uh, so within the span of about three weeks, we launched the Furry and Smith podcast. Our first episode, you know, went out uh, for week one last year. And then, uh, you know, the rest is, as they say, history. But it's been a fun journey getting to know Caden, just the insight that he brings uh, and we're both on similar career arcs. We're both early on in our careers and, and looking to make a name for ourselves. The one thing that I will always talk about with Caden is I have never met someone that is willing to work as hard as Caden Smith. He will, you know, dig into these games. He watches more ball, Sunbelt ball than probably most people do. And so that has been a valuable addition uh, to this podcast. He's been excellent to work with. And uh, thankfully, the the fans in the conference have really enjoyed it. And we're certainly looking forward to just continued growth and, and further expansion into these fan bases as the, the podcast continues to run. KD, well, we need we need to have a producer and some headshots. Yeah, I was going to say, what, yeah. the, what the hell? How come we don't have a graphic designer and a producer, man? I don't know. Well, I don't know if Photoshop can fix those two faces, right? <laughs> have you seen this hair, man? I mean, come on. We need no. to fly to Atlanta and get some headshots done. It's over. It's convinced. My guy um, might be able to add more hair on you, KD. If you, or KD. Hey. <laughs> no, this I stick with the trademark. I just leave a hat on all the time. That's kind of how I. That's just kind of how I roll and have in my entire life. Look, man, I don't take myself too seriously. I think that comes through on our show. I yeah. love to have a good time. I'm just a regular dude that has the unbelievable luxury and has found this niche to be able to talk herd ball and talk about the herd, and people like it. I don't know how I ended up here. Sometimes I don't really feel like I deserve to be here, but at the same time, I'm so humbled by the uh, acceptance that we've found between herd fans, herd coaches, players, and admins, and folks like you that are, you know, just sunbelt personalities that are like, hey, man, we kind of like what you're doing. So it's very, very humbling. At the end of the day, I'm just a fan. You know, Russ is just a fan. Uh, we have completely separate lives, other jobs and families, and we get to talk about the herd. Nobody has it better than Russ and I do in the herd fan base. Absolutely nobody. Let me uh, give you an opportunity to tell everybody – where they can find the Frary and Smith podcast. Give me all the outlets, the socials, everywhere. We want to drive all the herd fans over and, and grow that listenership for you. Yeah, we've made it pretty easy. Right now, we find ourselves on Twitter and Facebook. You can find us at, uh, you know, at Frary and Smith. They're very active on both of those platforms with content throughout the week. You can listen to the podcast on Apple and Spotify. There are plans in the future to expand it into video. Uh, we're just trying to determine when the right time is. Uh, to make that leap. But 
We record episodes every Monday, Wednesday, or Friday. We're going to, you know, on Fridays, we're going to preview the weekend and, and the games that are upcoming. We try to take a holistic look at the conference. Uh, we can't necessarily hit every game because of the uh, the slate of games. Uh, but then uh, on Monday, we're going to come back each week and we recap what happened on the weekend. We try to hit the biggest games. We've talked a lot of Marshall football this year, uh, and I'm certain we'll talk more Marshall football this week. And then our midweek episode on Wednesdays, we're always bringing a, a Sunbelt student athlete on. We're actually working on a, a, an appearance of a Marshall Thundering Herd athlete in the weeks ahead. But this week, we brought on App State's kicker, Michael Hughes. He talked a little bit about his game-winning kick against ULM the other day. So just a great opportunity to get to know some of the faces in the Sun Belt. So we love what we do. We do that all season long. We're going to be on site for games over the next couple of weeks. We're going to make it to the conference championship. Uh, and then we'll go all off season long too. And we've got, again, some special things that we're cooking up for the off season. So it's been a fun journey. We love what we do. We love the Sun Belt, and, and we're excited to continue growing alongside podcasts like you guys and, and the Sun Belt as a whole. Well, let me let me get you out of here on this one. Uh, first of all, I like to say, you know, featuring Michael Hughes, really cool because that's a West Virginia kid, right? So you're 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 getting into the state. Went to high yeah. school <laughs> at George Washington High School. You know, same as uh, App State head coach. Correct. Uh, both GW alums, just 45, 50 minutes down the road from Huntington. So really familiar. We were recruiting Michael as well, and he chose to go to App State. So <laughs> I'm glad he had that big kick this last week and and uh, made a name for himself on a national stage. That's really cool. We love to see the 304 kids doing well no matter where they play. So let's talk about this before while we get you out of here. What is your expectation for this herd team now that the Sunbelt Conference play is about to hit full swing? Yeah, it's fascinating. I know I, I feel validated a little bit because in the offseason, I'm sitting there, Caden and I are talking about how, how Marshall is a, a real dark horse in, in this Sunbelt East. Obviously, teams, many teams were talking about the JMUs, the App States, but I felt from the beginning that this was a Marshall football team that could make some noise. And, and so far through you know five weeks of the season, Marshall has clearly proven that they are going to be a team that's going to be in championship conversations this year. Uh, this is a loaded Sunbelt East. I think we're going to see some bloodbaths of games coming up. I think of that JMU Marshall game that's coming up in a few weeks. Uh, we've got JMU Georgia Southern this weekend, App State Coastal Carolina coming up on Tuesday. So uh, the Sunbelt East is loaded, but I think Marshall has a really good chance. They're not playing the sexiest style of football. Most fans are not going to turn it on and be like, man, this is just fun football to watch. They grind you down. They outwork you. And then they take you on in, in the third and fourth quarter and, and run away with it. So uh, this is a fun Marshall team. I think the defense has been as good as advertised. I still want to see more growth on the offensive side of the football, particularly from Camp Fancher. Rasheen Ali, I posted a tweet the other day. He's been a cheat code early on this year as he's been throughout his entire career. So really excited about the outlook for this Marshall team. I think third, or herd fans uh, can expect them to be in the title conversation and perhaps hosting a Sunbelt championship come that first weekend of December. Boy, oh boy, I think a lot of folks are going to like to hear that. Russ, <laughs> if you've got anything else for Noah, let's let him have it. Otherwise, take us out of here, Cat. Noah, thank you for coming on our show. We wish you the most success that you could possibly have on your show. We look forward to all the coverage that you bring, not just to our team that you hate, but all the teams <laughs> in the Sun Belt that you hate. So we uh, – We'll we'll definitely champion you guys as we have been, you know, sharing your links and everything. And I encourage all of our listeners to go and get uh, a take from someone who sees everything in the Sun Belt, yeah. to and not just uh, what KD and I say. 
but uh, thanks well, for really, being on our show. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. This has been uh, it's been fun, and I promise after I spend some time in Huntington, I have some of your uh, Low Country Boil Russ. I will change my opinion of the Marshall uh, Thundering Herd team. There you go, there you go. But otherwise, KD, I'm going to take us out of Do here. It. And uh, whether you see us at the Joan, whether you see us at the Cam, whether you see us down at NC State, bringing home another ACC victory, no matter where you see us, we're going to be saying, go Herd. Go Herd. It's the Thundercast. Caden, we'll get you next time, man. I promise. We love having Noah, but we'll get you in there next time. It's the Thundercast. We'll see you next week. Later. <laughs>